Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, we are joined by Ben Healy, who is the private lesson director at Brooklyn Music Factory. And as Nate and I were thinking about season two of the podcast, we were thinking, who could we have on? And naturally, Nate had a fantastic idea. And that was, hey, let's bring in different people from Brooklyn Music Factory who are in charge of some of these areas of business that we've been talking about for nearly the past year. Let's actually bring them in. So it isn't just Nate talking like, hey, this is what BMF does. Let's actually talk to the people who are making it happen. And now, Ben, uh, I thought that you would be a great first BMF guest because you've been here since the beginning, opening day of Brooklyn Music Factory a dozen plus years ago. You were there. You were in the basement at Warren Street. We were trying to figure it. We were making it up together. So, Daniel, to me, that's really the... The, he's really the perfect first BMF team member guest to come on. Uh, so, Ben, we left it up to you. We were just like, hey, what mm-hmm. do you think is going to be the most valuable for our listeners to take away? What's the most valuable piece of wisdom that you can share around your role as private lesson director? So maybe we just go, go right to you on this. Like, what are we going to learn today? Today, we are going to learn about developing relationships with your students and their families. So a big part of my role at uh, Brooklyn Music Factory as private lesson director is uh, for sure, you know, training faculty on how to teach our uh, game-based curriculum. But uh, when I get into the one-on-one check-ins with them and really ask them, you know, what are your challenges right now? Uh, a lot of times we end up talking about relationships with students and families and particularly just the, you know, like communication that uh, uh, those skills to develop. And it's a really tough thing to, you know, quantify and, and like, and train to, you know, we, we always say Nate, right. That we can uh, you know, we hire for values and then train for skills. Hmm. So uh, this is one of the ones that I feel like, you know, comes with a lot of values that we know in the in the faculty that we hire. And now I would really like to help other music schools develop some of those skills, you know, that we've to, um, uh, been working with over the years to help faculty develop those relationships with their students and families. What's at stake here with this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, what, it's, if they uh, do this, if because I've seen some of the notes that you that we kind of looked at beforehand. I know what you're going to talk about here. If they get this right, and it might mm-hmm. not look like exactly how BMF does it, but if they get this right, what 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 are the outcomes that you would expect for them? What's the payoff? What's the benefit? The benefit is uh, you know retention for sure. Like mm-hmm. that's the top of the line for me. Is just like I want to have long lasting relationships with my students. I want my faculty to stay at the you know the job and have their students for a long period of time. 
Uh, and, you know, building those relationships uh, really at the fundamental level, you know, with, with their students and families um, has um, exponential benefits across the board, right? Um, and so it really has to start from the meet and greet, you know, and in the classroom. And then that uh, builds a, um, a more committed student, more committed family, um, a more joyful experience for them. And consequently, of course, retention, you know, and yeah. an easier time <laughs> for running the business. Right. Yeah. I met uh, Nate when I was in junior high. Uh, and, you know, was uh, somewhat burnt out on classical piano lessons and wanted to study jazz. And my parents found his business card on a, you know, a, uh, in a coffee shop across the street. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I studied with him. Um, and then uh, when I uh, needed to transfer between schools, like uh, when I was in college, you know, I called him up again and said, Hey, can I crash on your couch while I do my auditions at the new school university for jazz? Hmm. <laughs> I forgot about that. Right. Yeah. It. So I did that. And then once I graduated from college, I was like, Hey, Nate, uh, you know, need any help? Cause I, I need some work. So I stuffed envelopes, you know, and helped him promote his bands. And then, you know, when Nate would came to me and said, Hey, want to start a music school? <laughs> I said, Hey, sure. You know, and, uh, you know, we, we started <laughs> teaching out of, out of his basement and, um, you know, and then, yeah, I came into the role of private lesson director, uh, gradually, like I was, you know, I was a faculty member and then, um, we had a position, a title of sorts for me that was, uh, like, um, gig manager right mm, and yes. then we we did that for a number of years and then realized no it's not just about managing the gigs it's actually when we're talking about managing the gigs we're talking about the whole curriculum you know we're talking about mm. managing people and um you know like what what the kids are going to play so yeah then it then it became um director of private lessons so when it comes to the topic of uh when it comes to the topic of communicating um building relationships in the school mm -hmm. where's a good place to start where should we start yeah well i i came up with three uh key concepts and i guess i'll lay them out there and then you can maybe uh tell me if if there's a different order maybe to do them in but number one was just uh the perception of our role and you know what we're doing at our music school um, I believe that music lessons just serve as a framework for building long lasting relationships with our okay. students and their families. You know, there's so many activities and, you know, uh, contexts in which we get to um, the privilege of working with kids, with young people. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm just I, I want to be in those spaces wherever they are. And music is you know the skill that i bring to it but you know really i'm about i want to be hanging with the kids you know okay um and then the second concept is that uh was around communication and that you know we want to set value-driven standards you know for the for consistent communication we have some uh company values that uh nate and pira and i have worked hard in refining and um you know, implementing over the years. And one of them is to communicate consistently to build trust. So I really wanted to talk about the details of that. Like what are, what are value-driven 
communication standards. Um, and then okay. the third is, uh, you know, coming out of that like gig manager um, version of my role, which is to build community and the idea that a well-connected student is more likely to stick with it. Right. And, and, and enjoy what they're doing. And, you know, all the different aspects of like how, how to build community, how to take those relationships in like the one-on-one -on -one private lessons um, or one-on-ones with faculty mm -hmm. and celebrate them and bring people together um, and, and connect them. So those are the, those are the takeaways that I, 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 I'd say when it comes to developing relationships with students and families. Okay, nice. Um, then let's go to that first one, the framework yeah. one. Uh, um, that was a good summary. And I'm already beginning to see <laughs> the value of what you have to say here. Maybe unpack that a little bit more, this idea that the music lessons are there as a framework on which to build um, mm -hmm. a long-lasting relationship. Let, uh, tell me more about that. Well, it's a... It's a the relationship uh, between the teacher and the student is a very special one, especially, especially when it comes to these, uh, you know, activities outside of school and outside of their immediate family. That is a unique relationship in their, in their life, right? To be, yes. uh, particularly for private lessons, to be one-on-one, uh, -on -one, you know, at least in, in the way we organize our lessons, right? It's one-on-one, -on -one, just the teacher and the student in their private lesson. And that's, that's a very special space um, to mm -hmm. be in. Um, and so, and I'm always, you know, coaching the faculty that they give priority to that relationship and that time. All right. And so that framework that we give them, you know, of, weekly meetings with these mm -hmm. kids, with the students, and the framework of what to do in those weekly meetings um, are all in service of actually building that relationship, right? We're giving these kids some skills to express themselves, and but they won't do that unless they really trust their teacher. They won't invest in that skill unless they trust that relationship. Yes. So could you maybe give us a list, like a how-to list almost? Because again, Brooklyn Music Factory has their own set of values, their own goals, game-based curriculum. You know, mm. other schools have different focuses, that sort of thing. But what sort of things would be common that if a school owner wanted to improve their retention or improve the relational aspect, which your central thesis here is that obviously on a human level, having relationships is great, but having those relationships and, and fostering those and focusing on those is actually a really good business move. What would be your punch list of how-tos that a school owner could begin to think of, oh, this is what my staff needs to be doing. This is what I need to be doing. What are some of those how-tos? Yeah, there's, uh, um, so that, that kind of goes to the uh, second key concept that I was going to mm. set out about, you know, having value-driven standards for consistent communication. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, before I get into the, you know, the nitty gritty of that, I think yeah. just making sure that, um, uh, you know, when, when you're setting the relationship as the priority, uh -huh. you know, that informs every choice that you make even before the lesson starts. So the punch list begins with how are the student and the teacher 
introduced? How do they get to, you know, get to know of each other, right? And sure. then how do you greet them when they arrive? What's the first thing that you do together in the lesson? Is it aimed at building a relationship, right? Uh, mm. Do they do they feel that as the as the pri- priori- priority, right? As soon as they sign up with your school, as soon as they meet their teacher. Um, so the uh, you know some of the punch lists you know for us are you know just making sure that uh, our you know our tagline is has like build community right mm-hmm. as part of our tagline inspire musicians build community and and so already you know we're putting relationships in the the, the forefront right okay then uh for me personally like when a student uh when it registers with me um you know to 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 reach out um you know by email before i even meet the kid and be like hey you know tell me something um about about your son or daughter right huh. uh, and what are they into um so we have we have a, a a questionnaire you know sort of a profile you know that we build um and put into our 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 custom software where we can where we can see some things about the student before they even hmm. arrive so some questions just about their musical background you know and uh, you know and then their their interests and stuff Right. And so, so that, you ask those parent. Do you ask that over phone or through email? Is it a formal questionnaire? Or is it just some casual questions in the text of an email? How does that How does that work? Uh, that says. Um, uh, I think we've done it a couple of different ways over the years, Nate. And I actually, the the current version I believe is going to be um, on a registration call. Um, okay. That's to me. That's the ideal. Is like. Uh, uh, someone in registration department uh, will be asking them those questions and, and filling in, you know, the questionnaire. And then that goes into the software. Um, we've done it other times too, with like a, you know, uh, uh, an email, right. For the mm. parents. And then, but, you know, even if those things don't happen, then the, the faculty or the, the teacher does it, um, you in know, when, when in the, in the lesson, right. It's a yeah. part of the lesson. So there's multiple opportunities to gather that information. Right. But the point is that, you know, it's not just like, you know, what, uh, you know, level of a a method book have you passed? No, it's what are your interests? You know, what what does your kid like to do outside of music? You know, so building that profile in with the with the relationship in mind, not just the musical experience, but like their life, you know, in their family, who else in the family plays music? Where's the piano in the house? Is it, you know, uh, and, you know, do the parents play and like, you know, those kind of things to build their profile. I think what's interesting is that this is programmatic. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. If it's a single teacher teaching in his private studio, it's another thing for a school that's seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids every week. There's yeah. You know, nearly two dozen faculty in terms of teachers across multiple instruments for this to become programmatic. You do have to get a little bit more uh, systematic, like you're saying yeah. there with the software and keeping track of those sorts of things. You know, the CRM that's keeping track of that. Yeah. And I want to I want to stress before we move on that just because Ben and company are doing this, it isn't a sign that this is like this cold Mm-mm. thing you know like oh you're taking their answers and putting it in a database right. like it's no the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite you actually are going out of your way and using staff time dollars money energy time and attention focus 
to care so much the fact that this kid's dog is named Charlie Murphy. Oh my God. Exactly. You know, um, yes. I actually had a student. This is a huge thing. That yes. whole joke from the Dave Chappelle show, like two decades ago, this kid, um, the parents named the dog Charlie Murphy. Anyway, this went way off or else. My point is, is that, um, that, uh, that, um, you know, you take the time to write that in there. That actually is the opposite. That's very warm. That's very caring. You care enough to keep track. Yeah, Nate, yes. you were going to say something, it seemed like. Well, mm-hmm. I was just going to point out and two things. One is that oftentimes um, our listeners will hear something and think, if I can't do it at scale, I shouldn't do it at all. And I want to just push pause on that mindset. This can be as simple as a notebook that just sits in at the front desk and everybody writes in, you at, write some answers. It can be hyper analog and super simple. It can start with just you, the founder as a teacher. And then eventually it can grow to the entire program as you were talking about. And also I wanted to add that Ben, you and I have spent oh, many, many, many hours talking about how to model this behavior. And one of the things you said around your first concept, which is, the framework was that you have to meet the child at their level, at their energy. And this sort of brings up this idea of the community room, which is so valuable to uh, what we do. And I wonder if you could sort of move on to, to that next idea, because I feel like you have made it like one of your life's missions to walk out into the community room and model what it means to like get down on your knees and meet little, you know, George Hackett as a micronaut at his level. So could we could we go on to that? I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely where we want to go next. Like, So, right, there's the before the lesson, getting to know the student, and then literally the meet and greet. And I, one of the... <laughs> Like Daniel, you mentioned, you know, like how to make a kid feel comfortable meeting like a, you know, six foot two or in my case, six foot six uh, man, like, you know. Oh, wow. You beat me by four inches. I know. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I, I know it's, it's something again, that I, so many of these things where I'd sort of do it unconsciously, um, but I want to start, you know, writing some of those things down and quantifying them, putting them in things like this podcast, you know, so other people think about what's your body language? You know, how do you move and how do you, what's your tone? How, you know, your facial expression, how do you relate to the kid in a way that makes them feel comfortable? So yeah, I'm, I'm tall. So I got to squat down. I I get down, uh, you know, squat down around my knees and I greet the student first. This is a big thing that I think a lot of teachers miss is they, they, they shake the parent's hand you know, and then the parents like, well, yeah, but they go right into like, you know, what their expectations are for the lesson, you know, <laughs> and the kids like standing there like, oh, my God, what have I got myself into looking around? Yeah. Right, <laughs> these, these, these tall people are deciding my future. 
Um, so you got to start down on your knees on their level and, you know, look them in the eye and be like, you know, and just say hi, you know, and um, and give them a little heads up about how what the next, you know, half hour or whatever is going to look like and uh, and get them, you know, comfortable with you. And then I go to shake the parents hand, you know, and, you know, some cases, if I'm reading the energy there and, you know, the, the, the student is shy, then I'll suggest why don't the parent come in for the opening improvisation, right? Our little, we, we like to start with a little, just a, like a drum circle, you know, three hand drums or something. Um, or I'm reading the, the energy and I, you know, this kid is raring to go and can't wait to get away from mom or dad. Mm. And I'll be like, okay, we'll see you in, you know, 25 minutes. <laughs> and, you know, you can you know, relax in the community room and the waiting room. And, you know, um, I got, I'll, I'll take it from here, you know, mm. cause I want the parent to trust me. So get the kids trust first parent or caregiver trust, and then, you know, deliver come out and recap. Um, mm. So, you know, that, so just staying on the, the meet and greet for a moment before I get into the other things, I think it's um, those just making sure that you are coming out to greet them, setting the tone and then inviting into the space. Right. Mm. And uh, you know, inviting the student and or the parent given, you know, your read on it. Um, and thereby establishing the tone and, and your control over that space. The studio is, you know, for them to experience with you, but the teacher, you know, owns, owns that, uh, that space. Yes. So yeah, that helps them trust you, you know, like, oh yeah, okay. this, this teacher has got this. They, I know what's going on. I think this is a good place to jump in and just once again, remind that the, there are bigger takeaways here, but things might be different for each school and how yeah. you do things. The, the important takeaway is the idea of the systematic nature of it and what we're shooting for and the choices that are being made. I'm going to give an example. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I had parents sit in on the trial lesson so that they could see what was happening. Now that was possible for me because my studio room was bigger. If your school has small studio rooms that, you know, only really comfortably sit to people, then that won't be possible. It's not so much the specifics here that Ben is saying it, it's the bigger picture. The other thing too is um, I, I just think this is a good place. We haven't really ever talked about this in the, on the podcast before Nate, but the self-awareness to know how your, your presence, to know what your presence is with other people mm -hmm. that I would have kids sometimes come in and I played a version of myself when it came to, to working with kids. Um, not that I was being fake. It was a real part of me. It was just a part that came out differently when I was teaching. Mm. And I think some teachers really understand that. And, but then I've seen a lot of evidence to see that some people don't have that awareness and I could usually tell within five to 10 seconds whether I needed to tone myself down with a kid or not. And I would, I, I, I could tell, Oh, I need to draw that kid out first before I start acting goofy. If I ever did, there were some kids that I never really mm. brought that side out with, but here's another place where self-awareness is huge because it's not just about the student. 
it's about the self-awareness of the teacher and the environment. And there was one time that I had a teacher that I was working with. I was working with the teacher privately on their studio and on their results. And it was primarily around marketing like it was for so many years. You know, it's kind of expanded in recent years, but early on in marketing. And I did this more than once, but they were having a real conversion problem where students were coming in, but they weren't signing up. And so I said, film a trial lesson. And they filmed it. And I watched it. And um, I could just tell that they were on rails, that they were doing it the same way they did it for the 100 people before and the 100 people after. Mm-hmm. And literally, like, they're talking to parent, and there were two parents there. And one of them was, like, playing on their phone. And um, during the lesson, they were saying things to the kid. The kid was ignoring it. And the teacher wasn't even addressing the fact that the child was ignoring it. Like, it was just autopilot. And honestly, the parents were bored. And um, I think, uh, Ben, you know, I want to turn back over to you here. But I think this is as good a place as any to talk about, about that. And I think teachers should at least one time in their career, if not many times, like film themselves in a lesson with a new yes. student and just evaluate. <laughs> um, you will be shocked at oh, what yeah. you see when you're not in the moment. Yeah, that was a huge, uh, I mean, we, we started doing that not that long ago, Nate, I remember. I mean, it was because we had a similar challenge, you know, of just like how to make trial lessons and these, you know, first impressions better right how to improve and yes. um and, and and again with the modeling like nate and i you know have to yeah. yeah video you know record ourselves and and then go over it just like reviewing tape for the football game you got to go play by play yes. <laughs> and be like okay you moved here you said this you know and then the student disengaged why all right. Or, okay. What did you say to the parent? And then uh, they looked down at their phone. All right. And we did um, training sessions coming out of those where we, you know, picked apart <laughs> recordings of ourselves. I love it. Second awesome. by second of what happened. And, you know, what having our faculty watch those and be like, okay, uh, you know, what can I do differently? And, you know, even the, the, like the, the trial lesson format, picking that apart, We've done, we've done, um, you know, role-playing and training exercises of the post-lesson discussion and, you know, those same kind of, you know, watching for those same kind of like body language cues, right? And, you know, establishing those archetypes of what kind of parent you're listening to, you know, or talking to, you know? (laughs) Yes. Are they looking at their phone? Are they got sunglasses on? Are they, you know, thinking about the next thing? Are they hyper engaged are they asking detailed questions you know or, or are they like well i don't know anything about music you know they want to learn but <laughs> right. they have no idea what they're talking about so you know how do you speak to those right um yeah. so but yeah to kind of take it back you know to the uh the punch list i feel like you know we 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 went through the the before lesson of getting to the student family and then you know the the the, the meet and greet and getting started and now you're kind of getting into the format of the lesson, right? And like what happens, you know, for trial lessons, for first lessons um, to really begin to develop that relationship. And I think, um, you know, the, to avoid kind of being on rails, like you say, you know, is uh, um, 
that's that is a challenge, particularly with uh, uh, you know, like a, a say a, a new faculty member where they they need that structure, right? Um, but they don't. You yes. don't want them. You don't want them to just go on autopilot. Mm-hmm. So um, mm. yeah, so that that's where I think a lot of our work, you know, has evolved and matured a lot in the last few years at BMF mm. uh, of being comfortable with the structure to the point where you can, you know, uh, respond to that relationship and still honor the structure of your curriculum and your, you know, lesson architecture and everything to, to have the confidence to be able to do that, to respond to the student in front of you and trust that the curriculum and the, you know, the, their progress, their journey, their musician's journey at BMF will progress and continue. If I, if I focus on the relationship in front of me. Um, so those, those structures, you know, for, um, a lesson architecture, you know, that's how, how do those serve developing the relationship, right? So, you know, we have a lesson architecture where, uh, we say it's a, um, 45 minute lesson. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you start with, a, um, like a five minute, uh, warm up and it's improvisatory and then go into 10 minutes of, uh, uh, what we call big lesson about music, blam games. And those are teaching music concepts through games. Nice. And uh, our skills and drills where we're developing instrument specific technique and then a song, right. And song work. Right. And then another few minutes at the end to come out and uh, you know, recap the lesson and uh, communicate the goal for the week. So I don't want to get too deep into the lesson architecture yet, um, because it's really about the the relationships, you know, that are built during that time. So focusing in on just the part of that architecture, I, I feel that really deep in the relationship is, you know, at the beginning and the end. Right. Um, yeah. So that uh, improvisation at the beginning so that you're using that time to read them right? Assess their, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time that you're meeting this student, you got to read their, you know, their energy. Okay. And we're, we're setting a timer. So we say, we're going to play for five minutes on this improvisation. And sometimes I give it some structure. Sometimes we don't. Right. And quite often it's on um, a secondary instrument, you know, say they're in a piano lesson, but we're playing on the hand drums. Right. So they're not, you know, going directly into like, oh, let me show you what I worked on this week. No, we're 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 on the hand drums and we're feeling it out. Right. Mm. Um, before we get into that stuff. So that's important at the beginning. Right. Is that tone. Then let me skip to the ends. Right. As you're taking them out of the lesson, they've had a you know great time um, and you want to celebrate their accomplishments. Talk about what was, you know, going well in the lesson, what they did well over the week. And then I turned to them saying, well, what, what is our weekly goal, right? What are you going to do this week? Hmm. Um, and actually to rewind a little bit, that's something that I actually co-write with the student before the lesson is over. So, you know, we've, we finished our architecture and then we go to write down into our lesson report you know, what we've accomplished, celebrate the success and set a goal together for the week. 
go out to the waiting room in the community room, communicate that to the parent. And I have the student articulate what they believe the weekly goal to be. Hmm. All right. So can I, can I pause right there for a sec? Because for some of our listeners, they may miss the, the essential nuances of the lessons there. It's not about whether you have one weekly goal, 10 weekly goals. It's not about whether you're a game based. It's not about whether or not you're comfortable doing improvisation. Then you're making these, you're making such specific choices. You're saying we're going to collaborate on the weekly goal that builds trust. Right. Versus I'm going to tell you the weekly goal, Mm -hmm. which is how they operate in most of their day. They're always told what they're going to do. They're always told that this is the next thing you're going to do. And you're saying, no, 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 let's work at it together. What feels, what can we accomplish in the week? What feels doable? Yeah. By the way, for those listening, you'll be surprised because oftentimes a student will actually say they can do more than what you even think is possible. So that's a fascinating discovery opportunity going. Yeah. Daniel. Well, I was just going to say when you, the choices that are being made. All right. Now this is not something that comes up all that often in the podcast and I'm not going to belabor the point here, but uh, I am a huge fan of like film and cinema and, and um, prestige shows and those sorts of things. And what we're talking about here is the difference between a show like The Crown or a film like Dune, where so much intention was put behind it. Um, Or I think of like the Lord of the Rings movies that Peter Jackson did over 20 years ago, where literally they had people in the art department so dedicated to the mission of that film that they were carving ornate carvings that weren't even on screen and they just did it and put them in these sets. Um, They didn't know it wasn't necessarily going to be on screen or very visible, but they were so dedicated to the the detail. Yeah. Yeah. Compare that to, and now I don't want to name anything because I don't want to tick any viewers off. Like if they, (laughs) if they happen to like something, but, but then there's other stuff that's being put out, you know, it just seems like every other day a new show pops up on cable. There's all these streaming services, blah, blah, blah. And there's not a lot of, you could just tell they're, they're junk food shows. They're not, right. there's no substance to them. I think the same thing is, is you're pointing that out here, Nate, that it's the intention mm-hmm. there, there's a brand and, and everything is coming from values. And this goes back to even some of the fundamental episodes of the podcast that we made that people were kind of confused. Like, well, what do you mean build a school from values? What do you mean build a business from values? Well, the values dictate the individual choices that you make. It's the Mm -hmm. blueprint. It's the DNA from which the life emanates. Um, And, and, uh, you know, so again, yes, it's not about the specific thing here, you know, as I've been harping on over and over again, this episode, it's not the specifics that Ben, it's the fact that Ben is making these choices from the values. And then he's communicating that the frontline staff and people underneath him or that are working alongside him that he's responsible for. And, and how do we communicate that these are the values? What are the choices that we're making? I just think it's such a, a, a point worth uh, making here and it's worth pointing out. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. 
If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.